Hello everyone and welcome to Professor P podcast. My name is Parsa Pekar and I'm your host and I'm a psychotherapist, professor and author. And today we want to talk about a very important subject that personally it's something that I appreciate and I'm sure many people can relate and we want to talk about and answer the question of what is the influence of a spirituality in our lives and how spirituality can inspire us to become a better version of ourselves and help change the world. As what we do always in our show, we first going to go over a book review, which for today I've chosen the book called The Peace is Every Step by Thich Nhat Hanh. On the second part of the show, I'm going to have a special guest. And lastly, I'm going to have one of my students on the show, which will be answering our question. So the book A Peace is Every Step, written by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk, a teacher and peace activist. He actually recently passed away. And he was a really great teacher personally to me. And I learned a lot about him and the practices he offered. Maybe if there are so many books that he has written, and some of it are, of course, based on his seminars, his talks. But Peace is Every Step is one of the most practical books that he has ever written. And this is something we want to emphasize today and go over and relate it back to spirituality. In his book, Thich Nhat Hanh emphasizes the importance of being fully present in each moment and cultivating what we call as mindfulness as a way to transfer suffering and contribute to the peace in the world. It's interesting because the concept of mindfulness, which has its root in Zen Buddhism, it's a practice actually what we do also in therapy where uh, we got we have a, a method called gestalt which uh, emphasizes in the importance of being in the present moment and part of it is to be mindful and we're going to talk about more about what does it mean to practice mindfulness and how we can practice it so uh, Thich Nhat Hanh suggests that peace is not just a decent goal to be achieved in the future but it's something that can be realized and experienced in every moment of our lives. By bringing our attention to the present moment and engaging in mindful breathing, for example, you know, walking meditation and other activities, we can find peace within ourselves and, of course, contribute that to a more peaceful world. I can identify with his message because for many people, as the book highlights, peace is something that uh, you know, has to be achieved through nations and, you know, throughout the world. And of course, that would be such a great thing to have. But more than anything, I do believe uh, having peace is something that is an internal experience. And we need to experience that for ourselves. And as we experience that in our own world, in our own personal world, we can share that to the world around us. And that's how we can transform and experience a new world all together. So the book covers various aspects of mindfulness, meditation, and practical applications. 
of the Zen Buddhist teaching, which can be applied to any type of faith, I believe. And Thich Nhat Hanh encourages readers to practice mindfulness, not only in the form of meditation sessions, which I'm going to get more into it, actually what the meditation is. Uh, and But he also uh, encourages us to do that in our day-to-day -day activities, such as you know when we walk, when we eat, and even when we wash dishes, or something that are not really pleasant to experience. And the whole idea and most of his message is basically is how we can integrate mindfulness into all aspects of our life to promote a deep sense of peace and well-being. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and talk about the 10 points of this book, that 10 lessons that we can take away. And then I'm also going to talk about how we can apply these lessons to our day-to-day -day life. And we're going to hear more from our guests, what their experience is with their spirituality and how they can relate and use that as a benefit to their own life. So the first point is about mindful breathing. So Thich Nhat Hanh encourages the practice of mindful breathing as a simple yet powerful way to bring awareness to the present moment. So I don't know if you realize now, as I was talking, I made more, my, I made my words a little more slower, right? I paused and I breathed, breathe, started breathing more. So when we focus on our breathe, we can calm our mind and cultivate mindfulness. You can even practice now. We have this practice in therapy which we highly encourage to the clients who go through a lot of uh, stress, and it's called 54321 grounding technique. And the way it works is uh, it's basically this grounding exercise designed to manage stress and reduce anxiety. So it involves first, we identify five things that we can see. So we encourage the client, okay, take a moment. Become aware of your breathing and tell us five things you can see in the room, right? So they can look at the painting, for example, if there's a computer, anything their eyes can see. Then we move to four things they can touch. So what can you touch? So we encourage them to do that on the spot. And I encourage you as I'm going through this, you do it for yourself and become more present. Then we encourage them to say three things they can hear. So when you take a silence, what do you hear? Do you hear a sound of a car? Maybe there's a bird outside. What is it that you hear? Then two things you can smell. So what are things you can smell? Maybe there's a candle or the, you know, overall what, what you can smell in the room. And lastly, one thing you can taste. And the reason we do this is one way to be present in the moment is by going through your senses, right? And fully be engaged with those experiences. So mindful breathing is similar. The second te uh, teaching about this book is about walking meditation, which how can we turn walking into a meditation practice? So what Thich Nhat Hanh suggests is to walk slowly and mindfully and pay attention to each step at the connection with the earth. And this can of course be done anywhere at any moment. 
And the way he talks about it in his book is when we walk, when we take a step, we say, breathing in, I take a step. And when we take the next step, breathing out, I take another step. So we practice breathing in and breathing out as we walk and take each step. Another way to do this is as we are taking those breaths, we are conscious about the world around us. This is something we really miss as human beings. But when you truly take those breaths and you look around and you see the trees, what's happening in the world, you feel a sense of aliveness in your heart. The third is eating mindfully, which means we bring mindfulness to the meals by savoring each bite, you know, I maybe appreciate the colors and flavors, and we are being fully present with the food. And this is what he calls as eating meditation as a way to nourish both the body and the mind and, of course, our soul. And something about this eating mindfully, I do believe when we do eat mindfully, we have much better diet in our life and it can really physically benefit us. Uh, to a degree where we are more conscious of what we are eating, how much we are eating, and that can really help us in terms of our physical health. And of course, as he talks about our, our mind, mind, mind um, and emotional health as well. Fourth is about awareness of emotions. So something, when you realize, when we become present, many times we feel a lot of emotions, Right. A lot of things can come up and sometimes they can be overwhelming. Actually, one of the reasons that as humans we try to not be present is because there might be uncomfortable feeling and emotions that come. And what I like about Thich Nhat Hanh's approach, which he mentioned in his book, is to invite those feelings, right, as a guest to your house. And... You know, when we have, let's say, when we have a house, we might have guests, some we like, some maybe we don't. But when they do come to our house, we know that they're temporary there, right? That's one thing to know. And we can just enjoy uh, being with them as long as they last. Another example he gives, which I absolutely love and I share with my clients is feelings are like waves right and we are the ocean so one waves comes and then they go down another one comes maybe a little bigger or a little smaller and then goes down so we don't fully identify with those waves because we realize we are something bigger which is the ocean the fifth he talks about bells of mindfulness so for example, we can use everyday sounds such as ringing of a telephone or the sound of a bell as a reminder to bring our attention back to the present moment. Again, the whole, I would say the main message of this book is how can we be fully present in our lives? And that's only possible when we are in the present moment. So the sound of what he called bells of mindfulness can help us to pause and breathe and enjoy each moment. The sixth lesson he talks about is about smiling. Uh, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh often speaks about the power of smile, which, you know, a genuine smile can be such a source of joy and also have a positive impact on those around you. So when we are 
out in the market or when we are out, wherever we go, if we have a nice smile on our face, it can uplift people. And that ha that's been something that I've personally experienced in my own life from others. And also I try to do that as well. Seventh is about loving speech and deep listening, which he talks about practicing using loving speech, which words that are kind, constructive and compassionate. And also, of course, on the other side of it, we want to develop the art of deep listening, which we give our full attention to others without judgment or distraction. These are both great practices if we want to have effective communication. I would say these two practices are the most important practices that we can do in order to be very good communicator. Because first of all, we need to be very conscious of the words we speak. Words can build up people and in some cases can destroy them. And the way we talk to others can greatly impact the way sometimes they feel about themselves or it's like a seed that we plant in their heart. So we need to be very conscious of the words we speak. On the other hand, when we practice deep listening or what we call in therapy, active listening, which we show our full attention, you know, as they're talking, we give our full attention. We show it in our body language, the way we connect with them on an emotional level and we make sure they feel heard and understood. And that can be really healing experiences. You know, in therapy, many times clients come and all they want is someone to have that deep listening and practice active listening to them, which means when they talk, you paraphrase, paraphrase what they say, or you say things like, oh, I understand, that must be tough, etc. And then, of course, as therapists, you can show them different way that they can find a solution within themselves. The eighth lesson is about creating space, which Thich Nhat Hanh suggests creating moments of stillness and quiet throughout your day. So this could be, you know, taking a few mindful breaths before starting a new task or pausing to appreciate the beauty of nature. I highly recommend that, especially if you're a very busy person uh, taking at least five to 10 minutes, maybe every three, four hours to truly be present. It can be through a music. It can be looking at the nature, reading, or another great practice, which I do in the morning for about five minutes is true. Uh, is breathing through your whole body, right? Trying to scan through your whole body, which means when you breathe, you put your focus, for example, on your feet or on your hand or on your heart, different part till you go throughout your whole body and as if you're warming up your body to the day. The ninth point is to gra uh, practice gratitude. So you want to cultivate a sense of gratitude by appreciating the simple joys and blessings in your life. Of course, we talk about journaling a lot in therapy, which can be such a great practice for you to appreciate what you have and you know when we have a sense of gratefulness i do believe we have more things to be grateful so he acknowledges that how you know when we express gratitude to people experience that elements can bring us happiness and lastly is mindful consumption which means we are aware of what we consume 
which is not only in food, but also regarding media, information, and sensory inputs. So we choose to engage with content that nourishes our mind and spirit. This is such an important point. When we talk about how we are influenced, we need to check how what type of information we have received through our senses, right? So we need to be very, very careful of what type of content, information we receive, and we let that come into our lives. So these are the lessons from the pieces every step that you know highlight the idea of mindfulness. And now what I want to do is go over some of the practices that we can start to apply. So as the first lesson clearly mentions, we want to practice mindful breathing, which means we emphasizes the practice of mindful breathing as a way to anchor oneself in the present moment. And by focusing on the breath, we can cultivate a sense of calm and awareness. So we want to do that as much as possible and as consciously as possible. So when we take a breath in, we want to make sure we take time and then we let it out. We can even count. That's sometimes helpful. Maybe one, two, three, four, five seconds. And then one, two, three, four, five seconds. That can be a very helpful tool. Second, we want to practice being present wherever we are. So, which means when we are, um, let's say, walking with our friend, we want to make sure we are present with them, not thinking about what we're going to say next, right? When we are eating, we want to make sure we are being present by the way we look at the food or are being aware of our hand movements or bringing that awareness to it. So that's very important to be able to practice of being present into our day-to-day -day life. Third is to see the interbeing and connection of everything that is happening around us. I absolutely love this point, which Thich Nhat Hanh introduces, says, which Thich Nhat Hanh introduces the concept of interbeing, which highlights the interconnectedness of all things, which means when we understand that our well-being is linked to the well-being of others, then we can inspire compassion and sense of responsibility for creating a more peaceful world. And the example he gives, uh, and I want to highlight here as well, is, for example, uh, you know, we think that sun or let's uh, or flower, for example, has its own identity, right? And it's we call it a flower and we give it a concept. But when we look at the flower more deeply, which he encourages us to do, and we can practice that with anything in our lives, we can see the interconnectedness of everything, right? So when we look at a flower, we can see the sun because, you know, the sun gives its light to the flower to grow. We can see the soil. We can see the water. So when all those elements come together, they create the flower, which means all of them have a part in creating that flower. So the flower does not fully have an individual identity or self of what they call, but there is an interconnectedness and relationship with other elements. So is our body as human beings. 
when we look at our bodies, the way the body works, right? Everything works together in our body for us to be able to live. And of course, our whole body is made of different elements and you can see a lot of it in nature. So we're not separate from it, but part of it. Fourth is to practice walking meditation. Uh, so Thich Nhat Hanh suggests that with each steps, we can connect with the earth and experience the joy of walking without being rushed. This is a point that is mentioned throughout the book. Do not be rushed in your experiences. When you're there, be there fully present. And as you are fully present, I do believe you can use time much more wisely and in better way. Fifth is to cultivating joy, so which means according to Thich Nhat Hanh, we can cultivate joy when we are in the present moments, even when we are in the midst of challenges. So he suggests that the happiness is available to us right now and does not depend solely on future circumstances or sometimes in our current circumstances. So something to realize is, and the practice we could do is to monitor what's happening inside of us. Is our mind trying to project us into the future, which create us worries and fears? Or is our mind trying to take us to the uh, past and we start feeling guilty, shame, or regret, etc. Six is to practice deep listening and loving speech. I love this one. Uh, you know, the importance of communication is highlighted with an emphasis on deep listening and using words that promote understanding and compassion. When we understand that our words have such a great power, I do believe we cannot, it's, it would be very difficult, let me say it this way, to use it in a negative way. If we truly know how much our words can affect not only other people, but ourselves. So when I talk about, of course, loving speech i'm also talking about the way you talk to yourself which we all do we all have a self-talk so try to monitor how do you talk to yourself is it loving is it punishing how do you do that that's very important and of course be conscious of how you talk with other people and practice deep listening or active listening which you give your full attention to others the next point is to nourish the seed of happiness. So, you know, what Thich Nhat Hanh uh, invites readers is to be mindful of the seeds that they are planting in our minds through our thoughts, actions, and what we consume. This is so important. So we're trying to cultivate the positive seeds which can lead to a more joyful and peaceful life. The way Thich Nhat Hanh describes this is human mind consists of both negative and positive seeds. And it's like how you would certainly raise any seed, you know, in, in the outside world is by watering it, giving more attention, etc. So he talks about how we can use all of those resources to make sure we raise our own seeds, the positive ones in our mind. And of course, we cultivate that in our own life. Another Great reminder and step is to remind ourselves that the only moment that we truly have and exist is the present moment, which, as I mentioned, when we dwell on the past, there's usually regrets. There are 
feel of shame, maybe guilt. And when we focus on the future, there's always worry because we are living in moments where it do not exist. And we're creating, you know, if the, if it's future, we're creating a scenario. If it's the past, we are going to the past and relieve those moments, which has hurt us. So understanding that presence, the only moment and doing things that can get us into the present. As I mentioned, for example, you go through your senses of your body can be such an important thing. Ninth is to practice compassion for oneself and others. And self-compassion is such an important matter that it will extend uh, to others as well. And I think the first and foremost step is to understand and accept oneself, which can lead to greater empathy for the struggles of others. Something I always tell my students in class is the most common human experience in the world is suffering and trauma. You know, I always ask uh, of the students who here has experienced trauma and almost everyone raised their hand. I, I do too. I mean, every one of us has gone through trauma. Of course, there are different levels and different experiences, but I do believe all of us have that experience, which is very common among human beings. So when we do practice that for ourselves and understand and accept ourselves, we realize that we are not that different from other people. So we understand their point as well. And lastly, to practice mindfulness in our day-to-day -day activities and life, which we want to integrate mindfulness into daily activities, transferring you know, routine tasks into opportunities for awareness, gratitude, and joy. And the example I always give is, imagine the first time you started driving. Do you remember that time where you were so conscious of everything, you know, the your surroundings, the way you would drive, you know, the way you would, uh, you know, look around and you were so conscious of everything and that made you to be more aware and be present. So let's practice that now when you drive. Try to practice that when you are talking with someone. Be conscious of your words. When you are listening, when you are anywhere you are, try to practice this mindfulness. With that being said, we're going to take a quick break. And when we are back, we're going to hear from our special guest on his idea on how spirituality can influence our life and inspire us to be a better version of ourselves. Now I have my special guest here, Sastone. Please introduce yourself and give us one value that is important to you. Thank you, Parson. Well, one value. There is many values, but I would say one value to be true to one heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why would you say that's important to you, Sastone? Because I think uh, this is something we are all dealing with. Because uh, we are split inside ourselves very often. We are split between the desires and dreams we want to bring forth here. Then, of course, comes the, the checkpoint. How much these dreams are driven by egocentric state of ourselves. Or it's really the soul's calling. 
And when we are not in tune with the calling of our soul, what we have come here for, we might betray ourselves on the way. So that's what I say. Uh, I would bring one of these values is to be true to one's own heart, is mm. to be true to our soul's calling. Mm. You know, it might take some time for a trajectory of life to be corrected. When we see or in the period of life, at some point, somewhere along the path, where we are not aligned with that gentle, very gentle voice inside ourselves. Mm -hmm. Due to business or due to activities, due to responsibilities or um, social kind of necessities, quite often we betray ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most of it is actually uh, the most probably important for ourselves here is to fulfill that calling, to be true to that so-called mission in life, to be here, right? Because we are all here for some greater reasons than just sleep and go to work and uh, get to pension and, and, and done, basically, right? Or having a good life with the family in some occasions for some, right? Not for everyone. So yeah. in a way... You, I kind of wanted to bring that up so we can continue if you like. Yeah, awesome. So I actually want to go back to that value because today, Stasona, what the topic we are covering is the influence of spirituality and how that can inspire us. And I feel what you're saying about answering to our uh, calling or, you know, listening to our heart and that value is a way for us to kind of admire that spiritual side of our lives as well. Would you say that has a connection with each other? Of course. And then imagine when, when we say of like listening to our heart, what does it mean actually? You know, when, when we just use these phrases, but quite often we don't really go into deeper investigation, what that means least to listen to one own heart. And um, there are traditions and there are some beings are saying, but this is still an external uh, expression of life. Uh, yet, in my own personal investigations over a lifetime, I would say that what we call the listening to the heart thing is basically listening to the divine inside ourselves, right? Because uh, there are traditions as saying that that divinity, that something is that we call by many names, mm -hmm. being placed. Be, being embedded inside ourselves. That's why we draw in these beautiful pictures of hearts. That's why we, we relate to it so much. When we see heart, we, we can smile to it. You know, it's like it has that significance that represents symbolically uh, some sort of inner truth that quite often we are not listening to. Mm -hmm. so, so we can call it spirituality, we can call it like a, it's a spiritual path, or it, but it's I, I feel it's the basics, with, which quite often we are not really uh, in communion with. Yeah, yeah. Some people call it even intuition. I think that's what you're also talking about, our like sixth sense. And I do believe we have that. And as you said, all the human beings have that capability to hear their own intuition. And share their gift, right? Find that gift and share it with the world. And I think sometimes, Stasone, the fact that people have so much noise outside is as if they it blocks how they hear the inside voice, right? There is 
let's bring it to the point of us here talking between Parsa and Estas, mm -hmm. and we're discussing matters, and let's let's discuss about ourselves, sure. not what people are doing. And we are, you and I, probably, like everyone else, dealing with this noise. Mm -hmm. So I rather prefer to about the noise I'm dealing with rather to speak about the noise other people dealing with, you know, because at least here I can be honest about it, you know, to, to really talk about that. We can we can investigate that if you like. Sure, sure. So I was going to say, what do you think those noise are? Because I feel personally, like, in my own life too, right? There is the noise of the culture sometimes sure. that blocks some of the things you might want to do. Uh, there is the noise of the what you know what the world defines for you as an individual rather you define for yourself or what your calling is you know there's those, ex those expectations from the society that you need to do certain way etc that blocks you and i think sometimes uh, you have to really go against sometimes those norms that are defined in the world right for example I always ask people, how do you define success? Which means different to different people. But for me, it's something that the more people you are able to serve, the more successful you are. That's my definition, which can be very different, right? From the definition of the world might be more in the financial gain, etc. which is not bad, of course, having finance. But I think those noise are what May not even our parents tell us, right? We talk about that in psychology, you know, many times. So, yeah, what would you say is for you? That's as on ours. We are talking about those noises. Yeah. I would say that uh, there are different kinds of noises and influences. Mm -hmm. Because from one hand, we we live in a world which uh, is very visible, and. Uh, we can perceive the world through the senses that we have and through the senses that we don't know about also, right? Because the, the act of intuition, it's also a sense, which is not described in a way, in a traditional way if to say it's like, okay, listening to one own heart is mm -hmm. basically connecting with the divinity which is placed within ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That keeps a track of pretty much everything we are living here and experiencing. So I wouldn't call it a noise. I would call it more like a gentle reminder to 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 be in tune with it, right? Mm -hmm. And there are different many many countless techniques, let's say, and experiences that would uh, represent that connection and actually um, bring forth that that it becomes really not a theory rather than experience, right? So that's one thing. But the noises I would call like. Of course, we have the family ex uh, expectations. We have society expectations. Nowadays, with the explosion of internet, we have also like some sort of a global expectation mm -hmm. that we must obey and we must act in a certain way or we must uh, follow certain rules or regulations, which in truth, over times, might be uh, not even correct ones to follow, right? So mm -hmm. this is another thing. And another thing is that this invisible noise. Did you ever listen to the sound of Wi-Fi? Mm. Did you ever hear the way Wi-Fi sound? Did you listen to the sound of magnetic field of electricity in the houses outside? I do. I'm a musician. I'm exploring this also. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
let's say I have this really incredible microphone that is a lamp microphone. And by chance, I discover the way it perceives the, the environment. So when I switched off the Wi-Fi in the place where I'm staying, I could hear absolutely clean sound, clean recording of the microphone. And yet when the Wi-Fi was on, it sounded like a Morse uh, language, you know, so we are constantly bombarded by sounds, mm -hmm. by things that we are not fully understanding um, the implication of it on us. Where you know, we don't really understand like uh, the behavioral thing. And then, of course, there's lots of theories and conspiracies, and not so conspiracies about also the governmental uh, equipment, which is used as well quite often. So the noise is out here. Right. And we are learning how to deal with also this noise. Yeah. Because when we listen to this noise, we are in shock. What impulses these devices are sent to us every single moment. If you if you connect a recording device to your iPhone or any mobile device, and you record, let's say, a prolonged session of the telephone just being sitting, doing nothing you will see the waves jumping because it's actually pulses which are sent constantly. We cannot perceive it. Mm -hmm. And yet they are there. So we are influenced all the time. So where this noise takes us, what's going on with it, I think we would have to learn how to deal with it. We would have to learn of certain technologies, how to also create spaces which, uh, which we are uh, more protected from this external uh, consequences of human development. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as well as uh, mainly dealing with the voices in our heads, with this noise. But this noise, which is going on inside ourselves, is also connected to the noise which is influencing us from outside. You yeah. know, so one would say the, the ones that are practicing meditation for a long time would say, or different kind of practices, spiritual practices, they would say, well, there is this and this and this and this and this and this and this technique. But the guy sitting in the mountains in Himalayas didn't experience this yet. Or mm. maybe they are nowadays, you know. But I think we have to learn how to deal with this reality. You know, this is all very fresh for us for the last 20 years, so to say, with these devices at least. You know, so I, I've touched a little bit this topic, but this is a reality we are all dealing with and uh, it, it is complicated. This is just in short. It is complex. That is true. And I do believe that we are always influenced, right, in one way or another by the world around us. Right. And you talk about different influences and how, you know, you even hear the Wi-Fi. I mean, that's amazing. And, you know, something I realized in your work, Sasona, when I um, hear your song or when I even see you play, uh, it sounds as if you are so in tune with what you do and with the melody that you even take whoever listened to you or, you know, the people who watch you to that place where all those noises for, you know, subside, right, goes away. Um, how is it to be in that moment? You know, we'd call it different things, you know, for example, those who are in sport call it being in the zone, uh, yeah. right? So I can certainly feel when you play and I listen to you, uh, I go to that place too. Like you take me to that place, which is amazing. I think that's what a great artist can do. Take you to a place where you're free from all those kind of bondages, so-called, right? 
Um, so how is it, first of all, for you to be in that place? And This is the same state, like say the runners would call it the zone, you know, the, the musicians also would call it the zone, you know, but uh, because something happened to me in 2012 where I sat and played a two and a half hour track without intermissions, without a stop, I was presented with something I haven't experienced beforehand. Like I, I basically, without any substance, without any external uh, help of sort, without any external guidance, so to say, experience that ocean of sound and incredible state of awareness. So we can we can speak about it. We can talk about this. We can write. Uh, hundreds of books about this, you know, but without an experience, it would it would be just a beautiful story. So for this last 10 years, I continued to explore that when every concert had that quality of about two and a half, sometimes three hours, sometimes two hours, ongoing sound. So what we see, let's say online, when we publish certain things, we still like publish certain uh, pieces out of this way, big wave of two and a half hour story. Mm. You know, and basically what happens in that state is like, no matter what happens outside, I stay with that somethingness I have arrived to explore. Mm -hmm. I don't call it to do, to explore. Because literally, like, as soon as that act starting, it's kind of like to enter into meditation state for two and a half hours. So... Others looking at it and they were like, okay, they, they're asking countless questions, but this is basically uh, an everyday reality for many monks mm -hmm. in various cultures around the world. For them, this is very understandable. You know, this is their reality. For music world, it's understandable for those who are gathered in jam. In jam, let's say, without, without certain substances, you know, without intermissions without the blah blah but really going into sound space this is the same thing you know when we are really there with all the imperfections with perfections with watching this incredible symphony uh orchestrates itself especially when it's done also with others because mm -hmm. I don't do rehearsal so when, when we get on stage we could be three we could be four we could be nine on stage without any rehearsals mm -hmm. you know and it takes quite incredible uh, uh, dedication from everyone and trust and love for it and presence to dive into that sound journey together you know because uh, quite often it looks like we really rehearse the whole thing all we did we just sat together and spoke about few little technical things because about creativity on stage, I cannot talk. It's mm. it, it's a mystery. This is the divine comes as it's supposed to be tonight or tomorrow or next day. I was going to ask, as I saw it, that when you, let's say, have a show, do you decide, okay, these are the songs I'm going to play or you just let it naturally flow? Yeah, you see, like over this, since 2012, I didn't do songs. Mm. And yet there are, there are pieces which which I'm familiar with. So I played them for many years, but they're not like as songs, even though 
now for this last two years, I've been working on the album, which would present more like these little pieces because they also ask me to be recorded. You know, it's literally they talk and they say, hey, we want to be recorded. So, OK, I, I will do I will create an album like this also. I can do this. But live on stage, normally there are no really pieces. It's just like moods coming from one to another. So I know where I will enter. I kind of know where am I going, what's the point of this journey, but what will happen on the way and how, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. The intensity of it, the gentleness of it, the sweetness of it, the words that might come out, this is a mystery. This is not something I know. Yeah, and I believe that's part of why your work is so original and natural and also take people to that journey because I also believe, like, in my work, too, I mean, as either a therapist, right, you never know what's going to happen. So you have to be very present with the client to understand, OK, how do you want to lead, how they going to react to certain things. Or even as I saw interestingly about my my show's uh, podcast, I do the recording, of course, for the book review, everything. I know the book, but I do it just out of my mind. I just speak. And it comes so naturally, it flows, as you say. I say something, it's not that I've written before. And I really like it in this format because, as you say, I think the creativity can arise from the experience rather than you schedule everything. Can we, um, can we explore something together? Because you sure. speak of in, uh, in the field of psychotherapy. Uh, are you aware with the concept of the parts of ourselves? Different... Mm -hmm different archetypes of ourselves, of the self, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that, right, in the psychology. So basically, when I get on stage, in the beginning, especially in the beginning, before, let's say, I get into the zone, right, I still feel the presence of a stars or a certain element of certain archetype of a stars in the beginning opening the journey, right, which is more like a more like a human self, I would say. Yeah, it's a joke, but still, right? And then along the way, I might watch like something in me watching it. It's not even I watch, right? There is a bigger eye, whatever whatever that thing is that watching it. Uh, it could be that in the midst somewhere on the journey, there is different um, uh, presentation of the self might appear. And it might talk. It might say a few things. You know, mm -hmm. and yet we are just still in the process of that something is that is being itself, expressing itself, right? So the music, let's say in this case, like the music is unfolding and it goes, and there might be some something is talking there. So in that sense, is actually all these talks, they're not there influencing it, the outcome. They might even say a few things. It depends of of uh, the state I'm really in there. But normally, all these voices are at peace with them, with each other. So this is my observation for years. I'm talking about this hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of these journeys I played for, for so many years. Uh, I could see that during these concerts, no matter what's happening, the archetypes of the self, the parts of the self are at peace with each other. Mm. Might be issues coming later or before something is uh, um, 
a tricky, let's say, in my shoulder or in the neck or somewhere in a, in a muscle, or there is an issue with uh, with somebody or anyway, you know, there's just life kind of uh, experiences. This is where my parts of Estas would be dealing with this or that situation. But in that space, all of them are at peace. Mm-hmm. It's incredible to watch. Yeah. It's almost like... A, I do have this um, discomfort in my neck and shoulder for many years due to kind of professional thing, uh, but also because of traveling, I had an accident. So I deal with this. And yet there is no problem inside the sound journey. It's always before and after. Mm. You know, so it's uh, it's something we call the zone or, or meditation state or awareness state. There are many, 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 many who are experiencing it in many different ways. They would say, "Ah, of course, I know it." Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. that is true. Um, so what I'm also curious to know, Sasone. So in that, as you said, when you do play, uh, in the shows, there is that journey, right? That takes you along, and I also believe takes your listeners along. And I think something, you know, we try to practice in our day-to-day life is how can we have that awareness or mindfulness right while we do just ordinary things let's say you know we walk outside we want to be aware of our walking the surrounding around us right so we want to bring that meditative state into our day-to-day lives thing you know I mean I can even feel as we are talking now we have that awareness and you know mindfulness as they call it in zen practices so how is it possible to bring that do you think that meditative say to our day-to-day lives because there is that joy right that you feel in the moment where you are present to everything that life has to offer to you and i do believe you can enjoy it in different ways i think that uh, for those that are not monks well, let's say people living their everyday life in various countries, in various places, that don't even know what meditation is. This is okay not to be in meditation. Unless we see there is something else exists. You know, so can I say as a human that is not a monk, I lived certain periods of my life as a monk, right? But on the, on the larger scale, I'm not a monk. This life, I'm not. Even though I do have some memories or I have some uh, little uh, insights about what my soul lives through, yeah, in certain uh, certain uh, life zones. But again, I'm I'm not going there. What is here is the most important. This this life and this is what we are dealing with, right? So I'm also not all the time in that space. It's a it's a projection. Let's say we see a musician or an athlete or um, a meditator or a practitioner of any kind of yogi that we see certain picture and say, "Wow, they are in that state all the time." Not at all. We are humans, and it's also very much okay not to be there too. Mm-hmm. You know, and also not to be happy. Also, mm-hmm. you know. It's also okay not to be happy and this is okay to be angry and it's okay to be in rage and it's okay to be lost and it's okay to be uh, alone 
it's yeah. okay uh, to not to know what to do right because without all this duality so to say we wouldn't appreciate the other side of it because in any case no matter what in this 3d reality 4d or 5d whatever you want to call it nowadays yeah we still would have to deal with in and outs Same. in and outs, all the time you know so when we are not this is also okay how long and what might shift that we will reconnect and go back to that somethingness that is always there? That's a question for everyone to answer and to figure out, you know? Yeah. That thing always there. It's just we are not there. It's like I, I figured this thing about inspiration when somebody said, well, when you have an inspiration, you might write a book or you come up with a new song. And I'm saying like, no, the inspiration is always there. I'm not there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So somewhere else right now i'm busy with other things i'm busy in my head or busy with yesterday's and tomorrow's <laughs> you know but but totally. i it's totally okay for all of us sometimes not to be there and it's beautiful when we are there and it's beautiful when we are not there and when we come back to that re reconnection and we can appreciate really the beauty of life but i think it's also very much human to be living all kind of emotions because yeah. that's a mileage that's the life mileage we need to gather and explore and experience right and of course all those feelings as you say joy sadness etc i think someone um related that and there is actually a persian uh, poem by Rumi you probably know Rumi uh, Sassone because he's very spiritual and I can see in your background even there is a dance of Sufi one of them <laughs> yeah so that's based on his work and he says feelings are like guests that come to our houses right and they come one by one and some are we welcome you know some of we invited them and some just comes uninvited right and but the fact that there are guests and we are the host, we can just have them as the time they're there and welcome them to the degree. And I think what you're talking about also is, of course, it's OK to feel sad. Right. That's part of being a human and is the fact that you accept that. And, you know, it's very interesting. Sassona, when you work with when I work with a lot of people, you know, I'm talking about my own experience as the therapist, because that's what I do. You realize a lot of us try to avoid those moments, especially pain. And it's just a way our mind, you know, works. But many times we find a joy in that pain. When we go through that pain, right? There is a joy at the end. They call it there's a light at the end of tunnel. But our tendency as humans is always to try to kind of push it away or not accept that there is okay to be sad you know it's part of our human experience and i think going back to what we discussed at the beginning many time you know there is now this culture which i don't really agree it talks about you know positive vibes only have you heard that <laughs> phrase it's like you can only be positive but i think there is as you said there is the positive of course and even you know not trying to call it sometimes the feelings like you know what is it even negative sometimes it's hard to define right and it's based on the person's experience so i feel when you see them as those guests and i i believe and i want to ask you for confirmation it sounds 
what you're saying, we need to be accepting to, towards our experiences, even if they're sad or even if we are not present, etc. cetera. Sure. The thing is that um, um, I think in the modern day psychology, there is more and more evidence already coming. And you're probably familiar with that when uh, the mind cannot be looked at as a as this one mono individual right so there is lots of already uh, researches and uh, i mean years of research of of uh, people in the field speaking about basically parts of ourselves so when we say like i am sad it's not really i am sad but there is something in me that is sad mm -hmm. Something in me that is depressed. So like uh, when I read this book by uh, Richard Schwartz, yeah, when he speaks about the internal family systems and, and he speaks about it when he basically speak about that, he started to call it the parts when we normally in day-to-day -day life speak with someone and we say, a part of me feels like this and another part of me feels like that. And this is where he was like, wait a moment, but that's actually true. There is part of me really feeling like this and another part of me thinking like that and another part of me wanting this and another part of me planning that and then so and so and so and so. And this is what I was saying about being in concert or being in meditation or being in that awareness state. There are no parts, even though fragmentary there might be one of them coming just to visit because i don't know electricity fell or uh, sound fell on the stage let's say and yet i'm staying with that moment and then it doesn't matter there is no electricity i continue playing until the technicians will figure how to deal with electricity and then the electricity comes back and i'm, I'm still there in that moment it doesn't matter electricity on or not. And then there's 3,000 people getting crazy because all of the sun and the sound came back. You know, but but again, I, I just did a little detour from it. It's basically in that state, all these parts of the self are okay. I call it a football team. Mm -hmm. And let's say we have 11 players on the football team. And there is one thinking depressed and another one planning some other things for next year. And another feels super joyous. And another one, one feeling very much annoyed you know and we have all these different uh, archetypes of the self where um normally nobody looking at you mm. know that is this one wounded part that needs attention that needs uh awareness that needs communion that needs a question we are not used to think of it this way we think of ourselves as this one mono being with a name quite often given by the parents. Mm. You know, some, by the way, do you know, in some countries, parents cannot choose the name for their, for their children if it's outside of a list that the government provides. Mm. You know, so basically we are, we are even giving names to, to us without that uh, a grand story to what we are. You know, and and it takes some years until we feel actually I don't feel this name, or I feel this name, or, I, or there is a name came to me, or and so and so. You know, so I think it's a matter of uh, all the football team getting really together and trying to figure out how to be together. Right. I was gonna ask Sasana, do you believe in that moment? Right. They all those parts disappear, or they come as one and become united. And that's how the, you know, state 
meditative state is made. Right. I cannot say they're completely dissolving, but uh, I would say they are at peace, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was in the round. You yeah. know, but um, but this I've seen also on the street. I di- I just couldn't name that at that time. I didn't know about this concept. You know, I was just exploring, and quite often there would be some crazy guy coming, or I don't know, mm-hmm. somebody come take the cable from from the amplifier. I'm talking about the years ago when I played on the street, mm-hmm. right? So it was like exposed reality where anybody could just enter into that space. You know, mm-hmm. on stage, it's not happening really. Sometimes some issues might happen, but not like this, you know, in the, on the street, anybody could just come in and do whatever they want. And this was a great practice to, to stay in that state. Yeah. I actually want to go talk about that because I know you started as playing in the streets, right? As a sonnet, that's how you started. But I think something just came to my mind about those different parts of ourselves. It sounds they are time bonded, which which I mean is like they're either seeking something in future or in the past. Wherever they come together is as if they are in the present, and you know the time is all of a sudden gone. So those part of ourselves seems to be very much time bonded. Do do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, we just we don't really know because mm-hmm. uh, say there is a calling to go to certain country, right? Yeah. certain place and uh i don't know what's the purpose for it it could be this journey is for me it could be this journey is for me to be there for somebody else mm-hmm. never know what is the real calling for this or that aspect of the self that needing this experience we, we don't know you know but then somehow on the long run we see like that was important oh wow i i could feel something happen there we can even say like i could feel like a little particle of my soul came back sometimes this also can happen you know because we needed to go somewhere else and there are lots of different opinions about um we have many lives the soul had many lives some saying not some saying we came out of monkeys some saying we came from the stars there are many different opinions i think all of us have to figure for ourselves what is what you know but i definitely see that uh, there is much more we are experiencing here which we don't understand mm-hmm. yeah i, I do happening on many levels of existence we don't understand I agree with your point, certainly. Uh, so, Stasona, I want to go back to 2012, where you said you play for two hours, and that's kind of what changed, in a way, your life, right, in, in the music, I believe, or it gave you a new, um, maybe, vision or something that was you experienced. Um, I, want you, I want you to mention, if was there anything specific about that day that you feel you went on for two hours and played and something else I want to mention I realize every time I watch you play there is an incense next to your guitar right that goes on as you play which I think it's amazing um so I wonder if that has certain role in in your playing uh you know because I see that burning as you play and I think that's amazing so Yes, I would like you to first talk about that incident you talked about in 2012, where for two hours you were just in that zone. 
however you define it. And then about the incense too. Basically, the incense happened already in NLA when I played on the streets. At that time, I used incense to kind of put around the area where I would play. And uh, because it was the street, so I still kind of took it as a ceremonial space. For, for me to get there on the street to play, it was not just to go play and make money. It was more like a live calling also. Definitely, because I started to do so because it was a calling, right? And then, of course, it turned into also survival, also making a living, also traveling, also meeting people, and so on, so on. So at that time, I was illegal in States for many years. So this was my kind of niche. I could still go travel all over the place without being even legal in the country at that time, right? It just happened because after 9-11, I happened to be in New York and they lost my case. And for at some point, I was like, I didn't want to be bothered to deal with this, but I had to later. So I used incense kind of like to put on the ground around the area where I would play. I would circle the area, kind of make like a more like metaphysical protection circle around that area where I would play. And I would burn the incense every time. And then one day, this old gentleman who, who came to listen to me, he said, "Like you know, bro, in the old days, they would put the cigarette in the in the in the guitar head. You know, mm -hmm. the players would play in the bars and the concerts. They would use cigarette and they would just put in there and they would burn. And it's like you could put the incense there, and that's how it happened. So mm -hmm. the incense was already present, and for me, it's kind of a, a symbolical entrance." Mm. to the state of reconnection and reconnection also with the self with the divine with the environment itself you know with the spirit itself so that's kind of like opening that ceremonial experience and uh i i started to put it on the on the at the head of the of the guitar because uh it made sense so since then i think it's been probably 20 years i do it like this and then um, about the experience in India, um, it was more than two hours. It's just people who invited me to that little gathering. And I really even didn't want to go there. It was some sort of uh, like a private little situation where this um, celebrity actress was inviting few few friends. And I didn't really want to go, but my friends were going there. So they said, she really wants you to come and this will be very special. I said, okay, all right, I'll come. But uh, I'm not going to participate in all the activities you guys do and I'll just come and I play, you know? So he said, okay. So they basically created an environment when nobody was sitting in front of me. It was not like uh, people sitting and they come for a concert. They were dancing around, they were doing their thing, you know, there were just some people, there were not such a big crowd. And I I felt like I'm in my own zone, sitting on the nice carpet with incredible sound. And I started somewhere and for, for about two and a half, maybe 2.40 minutes, two and a half uh, hours around that, I played one track. And this was really a big surprise to me because there were no substances involved from my side. You know, the, these people around maybe did something, but to me, it's, uh, it was fascinating that I could even dive into such a state where it was a concert, 
but it wasn't. It was more like a self-exploration through sound. You know, mm. so since that moment, I couldn't play songs as I used to play them before. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel true to it. You know, so since that time, it's been like this many, many years. So sometimes, let's say, a little piece wants to be played in uh, in the in the end of the concert as a lullaby or as a, a little good night to everyone. You know, I do it happily because they these little pieces they're always present, but never as individual. So, musically speaking and metaphysically, metaphorically speaking. I played pieces that are for, that have formed over many years. They have titles, they have names, they have personalities, they have their stories. After that experience in India, that whole thing turned into this inner exploration that I called internal flight. Mm-hmm. And then what happened within internal flight, all those little pieces, they became part of it as one thing. And just within this last few years, I felt that one thing, like a mandala, started to break down. Which means I have to watch where the music wants to go now. So if that mandala is breaking right now, doesn't mean the internal flight has ended. Not at all. It will always be internal journey anyway. But these pieces started to get out of that oneness into singularity. And when I look at this, I'm seeing some interesting metaphorical uh, presentation of how we are here. Mm-hmm. You know, because there is a dream, there is a potentiality that we all come from oneness. And yet we also want to experience this singularity, this individuality. Yeah. yeah. So this is kind of what I've seen over the years in the in the sound trips where there is one prolonged journey or it's also pieces, individual pieces that are coming back now somehow. Right. And that's how I got to know your work, Sassone. I remember I listened to Internal Flight and it really took me to that journey. And I remember it was the last year, uh, close to the new year. And I was thinking about all the goals I want to set for my, you know, this upcoming new year. And as, as I was listening to that, I was really taken away, as I was saying, to that journey that you also talk about, right? Like every show, every performance for you is that journey. And I do feel that like you take the listeners to that journey with you. And um, for one of my last questions, Sassone, first of all, this has been such a great conversation with you. Um, I think I was reading one of the interviews you had uh, to be more specific with the Columbus Dispatch. And it was a newspaper and you were talking about and I was thinking about your genre, right? What what would be called that? Because <laughs> it's something like I try to explain to those who don't haven't maybe heard your song. I'm like, you should listen to this. And I try to explain what type of genre, but it's not easy for me to define, right? Because there is a guitar, acoustic guitar, of course, but uh, it's something that I found very unique and you mentioned the nearest thing would be more like the world music the music of the world but again I'm not really playing any traditional music of any place that I've been to which I know you've been to a lot of places and you're currently in Austria I believe as we are doing this 
uh, now kind of between Austria, Germany, Europe, Portugal. But um, the thing is that uh, I never had a dream to be a musician. Mm. Interesting. I, I just didn't have that idea. You know, I was lost for many years. I, I had to survive in this reality. And then when I went to New York, I came with the idea of making films. Mm. Right. And then because I actually was illegal and so and so, it was quite complicated also financially. So I was given a guitar and I started to play because I knew how to play when I was a child. But when I received the guitar as a present, I didn't know what to do with it. So I started to explore. First, I started to explore blues because I would go to Central Park, hang out there with the black guys playing blues on the street. And uh, it was a very cool period of some weeks or months before I met the violinist and we started to play together. But before that, I was just kind of like exploring what I could even do with this thing, right? And, and over the periods of time, these little pieces started to form. So... Of course, I had some sort of a direction and idea while the blues, while the gypsy, while actually I was inspired by gypsy music and I kind of grew up with the Romani music from Eastern Europe as well and then Latin music and the Cuban music and the Brazilian music. But I never had the idea of a certain, like, I want to be a rock star or I want to play bossa nova or I want to play... In the beginning at the time, I remember, I've heard Django Reinhardt, so I kind of wanted to go into that dimension, not even jazz, but more like the Romani, ancient, traveling music, right? And this exactly what was the portal for me to enter. Because when I entered there, I started to see these little pieces are forming but they had no genre that I could say that, well, this is rock or this is blues or this is this or this is that. I, it's not. And even today, I wouldn't say it's it. It has influence of many kinds. And uh, um, of course, there is a lot going on in my up subconscious mm -hmm. of things to listen over, over a lifetime, but they would come through my own filter of life experience, you know, so... I still don't don't know, but I'm fascinated every time to yeah. get on stage with different musicians from all over the world. And I tell them, honestly, guys, I don't know what else to play. <laughs> Ask me to, Estas, can you play Hotel California? It might take me some time. Of course, I could play it, but I I don't speak that language. That's that's not my thing, you know? Mm -hmm. I think, as soon as I'm thinking more, and this is just a the way I look at it and as we had this conversation internal flight or journey I mean that's such a good thing for your work because as I mentioned it really takes you to this journey inside of yourself where all those parts of you become one and then you can be in such a place where you know you're safe right and you know you are ever present to the moment and the, to the life itself so I think that can be a good name for it, but of course it's your work. And I think what you call it, the word of the music. I also read a lot of your comments that people leave. It's from all over the world. And I talked to you earlier before the recording that I know you have a lot of fans from Iran and I appreciate how you contributed one song to Masa Amini and what was happening in there. 
and people really love your work there. So I hope one day we can see you there playing. Maybe somewhere else. I had an incredible meeting with Ali. Um, I, I'm trying to to remember right now his last name, uh, Gamsari. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sorry. and uh, he was just visiting uh, Holland that same moment we were in, uh, on tour this October, last October and we had an incredible moment because he wrote to me saying hey brother I'm here, I'm like wow finally we might meet so would you like to come on stage, he's like okay yeah, so, so maybe you come for a sound check and we had an incredible sound trip together and again he comes from very different world and yet we met on stage without any rehearsals um, beyond what we think, what we know, you know, it's just this openness of heart made it happen. Yeah. And, and this is incredible to see over many, many, many years, but being on stage with many different people from all over the place. And I think that's how we can achieve peace, right? Understanding that we are beyond our nationalities, our beliefs, you know, et cetera. And we are all human at the end. And that's how we connect, right? From different parts of the world. Well, Sasan, I just want to thank you for being here. It's been a, such a pleasure talking with you and having this conversation. For the last question, I just want to ask you, this is something we ask all our speakers. If you want to suggest one act of kindness to the to the listeners, what would that be? Normally, uh, people would say, I need one act of kindness for the external world. I would still deal through the inner world. And uh, if one step at a time, I can accept myself as I am, with all that I amness, potentially, maybe, who knows? that there would be a true peace within the self. You know, because I think this is the the only responsibility that we have here in this world, to be at peace within the self. Because when we're at peace within the self, we don't want to go to conquer other countries. Mm -hmm. Right, right. We don't want anywhere to take anybody's place or anybody uh, move anyone anywhere. We could just coexist when we are at peace within the self. But with to be at peace within the self, may this football team get together in the mm -hmm. great union, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so one step at a time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for this conversation. my students here charity so please charity introduce yourself and give us a little bit background of uh everything you want for the audiences to know and also give us one value that is important to you got it um hi everyone like uh professor p said my name is charity i am currently a 
third year graduate student at Pepperdine University in the clinical psychology program. I'm getting close to graduation, so very excited about that. Um, yeah, so a value that is very important for me is authenticity. I feel like that is the the salt of the earth. That is um, one of the, the best values that you can bring to your relationships and to yourself because it keeps you grounded, it keeps you real, um, and yeah, just keeps you connected to others and to yourself in a very real and tangible way. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, that is a great value. And to add to your point, Charity is in my class and we just one week away. And congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> At this time, of course, as we are recording. So congratulations, Charity, on the graduation. I know that's a big accomplishment. Uh, so Charity, the topic we are talking today actually is we're talking about the influence of spirituality and how that inspires us. And I think something you mentioned about the value that is important to you and being authentic, um, I want to see if there, if you see any connection between, you know, being maybe spiritual and authenticity or how that plays a part in your life. Uh, so how would you define that? Um, yeah, I think authenticity and spirituality, they overlap so much. Um, I feel like in spirituality, there is um, this call to be real, be honest, um, and just be very grounded in yourself. And I think that authenticity asks the same things of those who follow it. Um, there's not really a lot of fluff. I think there can be, but I think when it comes to authenticity, you can kind of tell when someone is faking it or maybe if they're, um, I don't know, trying to like uh, pretend or either maybe like putting on a mask. Mm -hmm. And I think the same can be said for spirituality where um, if it's not a, a real value or a real practice in someone's life, you can see that kind of shine on the outside. Um, and that's not to criticize anybody, but I think it really is for uh, spirituality is for, for the person who practices it, like something that keeps them grounded, keeps them believing, keeps them hopeful, keeps them um, forgiving, all those types of things. And I think it does start with authenticity, just being real with yourself and what you believe and what you think the meaning of life is. Yeah, I think the point you're mentioning is if someone is truly spiritual, you can see them in their action, in the way mm -hmm. they live their life, where I'm sure you'll see it in people who consider themselves religious or spiritual that there's so much talking but not so much action mm -hmm. yeah we have a problem and we call that hypocrisy in, in so many yeah. ways. uh so you do feel that that is true that authenticity can have a direct relationship being be, being truly spiritual in a sense yes absolutely mm -hmm. so how do you see that for yourself charity in your own life do you believe do you consider yourself someone who's spiritual practices and that helps you to be more authentic how do you how does that play out in your life I would say yeah yes I was I was raised very religious um and for a few there few years there like in my teen years it's like I'm breaking away from this I want to find my own um connection to a higher power um but I I ended up going right back to um what I was raised with which was Christianity and um, yeah, I, I feel like for me, it's now in my adult years, it's something that like my faith is something I can call my own. It's not something that 
you know, my, my parents may have helped build it, but ultimately I'm the one that is um, keeping that relationship alive. So for me, that looks like prayer. That looks like um, going to church. That looks like volunteering in my community. That looks like um, being a part of like uh, Bible study groups or small groups to um, be with peers who um, have similar beliefs as I. Um, that also looks like doing the therapeutic work as well. I feel like um, in the Bible, it talks about how uh, one of the names that that God is referred to as is a great counselor. And I feel like that is something that I see a lot in the work that I do is um, meeting people where they're at, relating to them, um, getting to the real nitty gritty stuff. So not um, not doing the superficial stuff. Right. Like really getting to the authentic, like, why are you here? What is like what is bringing you into this office? Um, and I feel like. God is is like the counselor for me. He's the one who wants to get to the the nitty gritty. He doesn't want the fluffy, everything's okay. I'm perfect. I'm doing everything right. I'm checking the boxes. He wants um, my heart. He wants my true feelings and actions. And um, yeah, so I just, I see a parallel. And I, I think that that is what helps inform the work I do and informs um, my belief system. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that point because I do believe the people who consider themselves many times spiritual or religious, they don't really see a need to see a counselor, right? There is that mm-hmm. always talk that, oh, like we can ask God everything or etc. There's no need for human. And I think uh, me, uh, I personally have faith and that was something I struggled uh, in my, when I wanted to study clinical psychology. But as I went through the program and studied psychology, I realized how much that actually support one another, you know? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So many people, that's still a question or, you know, they're kind of say, oh no, that's not for me. What would you say to that, Charity? Like uh, that, okay, some people say, yeah, we don't need any counselor and, you know, uh, we just pray and, you know, God, whatever God wants or, you know, <laughs> that higher self they will provide for us. I think many people kind of believe that and they take that approach. So what would you say in that case? Yeah, I've I've also heard that approach so many times about, well, no, just pray it away and, and believe and have faith. And I, I believe that all of those things are great to pray, to have faith, to believe. But I also know that when we think about God, like his power is infinite. And so um, I guess maybe when people are praying, they're thinking, oh, God is going to zap away my depression or zap away my anxiety. But I think he works um, in a multitude of ways. So his way of answering your prayer to zap away your anxiety or depression could be getting you in touch with the counselor, right? And saying, this is like a steward. This is someone who I'm able to say like, hey, I'm, I'm going to give this person or I'm going to provide a way for, um, yeah, this agency to give you the tools that you need to work for your anxiety and depression. So it's not necessarily like waving a magic wand, but there's actually a process to it. Um, So I I would just tell people to just be open to however God wants to move in your life. So that could be through seeking couples counseling. If your, you know, marriage is on the rocks or could be seeking career counseling. If you don't know what direction to take, it could be, seeking mental health help. If you're struggling with anxiety, depression, it could be um, going to the psychiatrist and getting on medication. None of those are anti-God. I see them as tools that God uses 
to help reach us here on earth. Um, so yeah, I, I would just tell people to just um, be open to God's miracles um, that come in, in many different ways and forms. I like in that specific that carrier counseling because that's a class that I like. <laughs> yeah I had to throw it in there I had to I realize thank you for that but uh, I do believe that and I have to also add it's like a two-way street right also some counselors and psychologists I also heard they are very spe- skeptical about faith which is not right too so it's important that I think we be open right to both right both of them and you know what I always encourage people is to think for themselves and find that out on their own, right? Of course, we can have the support. But at the end, I do believe we have given a free will to seek help or whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And part of it is maybe to seek counseling or however that works for us and making sure that also we take care of that spiritual side of our life. You know, I think that's right. A- Art of uh, the way we live our life uh, for the last question Charity and this is something we ask all our speakers if you want to suggest one act of kindness what would that be uh, yeah so one act of kindness I guess they can you know I, I feel like people maybe get overwhelmed when they think about this maybe they think they have to do something bigger grand but um, I I think a, a a really feasible act of kindness that everybody can do any day is um, just like when you're in the grocery store or in the drive through line, um, just making eye contact with whoever it is you're in contact with and just offering them a smile. I feel like that goes a long way. And it's something that um, I think people kind of take for granted. It's just the, the kindness in someone's face when they're smiling at you. Uh, you could say good morning. You could say hi. You can ask them how their day is doing and genuinely be interested in the answer. But um, I think after COVID, um, there was really a, a big issue that I saw with people connecting with others. And so I think just making that small effort every day just to look someone in their eye, smile, ask them how they're doing is that's kindness beyond words. So yeah, it's very simple. Nothing too crazy. That's true. And I think something about that is when we do that, we also become more conscious of yes, our actions, et cetera, which makes us to enjoy whatever we are doing at the moment. So that's also very important. Yes, I agree. Great. Well, Charity, thank you for being here. And uh, do you have any last words before we wrap up? No, I'm good. I'm just happy to have been asked to be here. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad I could share some insight. Thank you, Charlene. Of course. Thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to be with you in the next episode. And meanwhile, if you want to stay connected, you can reach me via email at contact at parsapaycar.com. Mm-hmm.